Isn't that right? We need him. That's why we're here. And that's why we want to uh, sing songs to him to remind us about how much we need him. I know that that song right there, uh, that uh, for me, there's an older version of that song. Some of you might call it a hymn. And so uh, in that song, uh, when I was ordained to ministry, you know, that means basically you sign a covenant and saying you're going to be uh, a pastor for the rest of your life. And uh, I was planning the service that day, and that was a song I picked that would be sung because for me, I just knew that I was signing up uh, for something I had no idea how I was going to be able to do. And God says that's the way it should be. (laughs) And so I just declared to him that I needed him, and that's the only way I was going to be able to do it. Um, And so I'm just so glad that we sang that song today for all of us. Uh, In the first service, when uh, we were singing... I was sitting there, and all of a sudden, I just had a, a thought, you know, it's like I thought I'd share it, and the thought was that uh, at this same weekend, 22 years ago, that we were meeting over in Gold Run Elementary School, and it was the February, last Sunday, February before March, when we were going to kick off our church, and we had 75 people there that day, uh, about half of them were kids, so that meant we had about 30 or 40 adults and that we were going to start this new church. And on that day, and we'd been planning, we'd been talking about the vision, the mission, and the purpose, the values, all the things that God was going to do in and through our church. And then the next week, which is next Sunday, or for Friend Day, we always have Friend Day on our anniversary, uh, we had 158 people show up. You know, it's like, whoa, man, it was so fun. And just, you know, some of you you were with us in Gold Run way back in those early, early days. And I was just reflecting on that. Uh, as we were singing, and just the power of what God has done in our church over 22 years. And uh, it's just, and I didn't plan it this way. I know Holy Spirit did, is that on this day, we'd be talking about mission and vision and values and what it is that makes Twin Cities distinctive in our mind about what he's called us to do. So, um, yes, I really love the thought about what we get to do today. And just why vision is very important and very important. In fact, I was reading uh, last fall, uh, and uh, this is a report done by uh, National Public Radio. And so I just want to share with you, kind of fascinating. And so since it was in the fall, um, I think that it'll be clear, and I got to find where I need to be here. Um, Since it was in the fall, it'll be clear what it is that they're talking about and why it was being published then. Uh, And so uh, they were talking about the vision, the power of vision to shape people. And a group of researchers, and I always love when I can say researchers because who knows that is and, you know, people that do that kind of stuff. But the group of researchers, you never, you can never question researchers either, okay? A group of researchers discovered that there's a direct link between how NFL football fans eat the day after a game and whether their team wins or loses. A direct link. The researchers found that after a defeat, saturated fat consumption went up by 16%. While after a victory, it decreased by 9%. Decreased by 9%. So fans eat unhealthy, fatty foods when their team loses and healthy foods when their team wins. So that's the idea. The swing, though, is even greater in football-crazy cities like Green Bay, Philly, or Pittsburgh. In these cities, fans eat 28% more saturated fat after a loss, okay? Kind of the idea there. And what the researchers concluded is that fans use food as a source of self-medication, 
When their team loses and their happiness levels are low, junk food and high-calorie foods provide the brain with a source of pleasure. As one researcher explained, when your ego is shattered, you think about instant gratification. You want to feel better now. Now, what was fascinating in this study was the impact that wins or victories seem to have on fans. Winning seems to make people think long-term. Winning makes you think, okay, we won today, we're going to win tomorrow. There's a possibility that, you know, after two wins and you're, and you're undefeated, that you might make the playoffs, those kinds of things. And they look forward to the next game. The satisfaction of winning increases the capacity of people to withstand difficult choices, to pick salad over pizza, kind of the idea, okay? Salad over pizza. Now, this is relevant today for two reasons. First, it explains why Oakland Raider fans are looking larger and larger. <laughs> okay, I'm in trouble with somebody. Second, though, it's an interesting example of the power of vision. When you feel like there's nothing to look forward to, you live for the moment. But when you have a compelling vision of what could be, when you have a dream that results in a purpose that's bigger than yourself, you gain a determination to press through challenges. So today what I want to do is I want to talk about how our church has a purpose and a mission and how it sustained us now for 22 years. So you want to grab your message notes out of your program, you can do that and you can follow along and take notes. You have a Bible, you can open it to Philippians chapter 2. If you picked up one of these Bibles when you came in, it's on page 900. I can't tell you what page it is in your Bible, but if you have one of these, it's 900. And by the way, if you want to grab one of these when you come in every week, love it if you would do that. And then if you have one, just put it back. If you don't own a Bible, I'd love to see you take one today. So just stop by the doors when you, you know, the bookshelves there and take one as you leave today. It's our gift to you. So when we get to Philippians in a minute, just know that Philippians was written by Paul to a young church that he'd helped start, and he was talking to give them guidance, kind of like a daddy to his children, kind of like that when we get there. But before we did that, before we do that, uh, we had the opportunity to, to change up our journey class format a little bit and do an experiment uh, this fall. And while we were doing that uh, this spring, and while we were doing that, uh, I was teaching in two sessions, but in one session, I got to teach on our values, on our church values. And something just happened in the room. There was something that happened where people were just so resonating with what we were talking, what I was talking about. And so I wanted to begin today with our values, just kind of reaffirm for everybody the values we have as a church. Here's what you can expect. Or here is our promise. Here's our promise. First, we will be real. That's our promise. We as a people will be real. Now, just know when I say that, we're only as real as everyone will be, right? We're only as real and honest. You know, I appreciate Brian's honesty today as he was seeing, you know, talking about singing that song and how he had to deal with, especially as a male, being willing to give up his own desires and his own strength in order to be able to uh, pursue God, be able to bend a knee and say, I need him. So we will be real and open about our faults and our failures and our brokenness. Uh, and I know that many of you, you don't have any place in your life that you can be real in that way. And some of you even question whether you can in a church because at some point in the past you were and the church didn't handle it well. And you know what? There'll be times I'm sure that our church won't handle it well either because we're you know, broken people and that we're not perfect either. But what we want to do is continually be moving toward the place where we say, it's okay around here that you're broken. It's okay around here that you have faults. It's okay around here that you fail because we all 
do. As we say, you know, pretty, uh, you know, affectionately, this is a hospital for sinners. This is a hospital for sinners, and we are all in need of that. Every one of us is in need of that. So our goal at Twin Cities Church is to create an environment where it's okay not to be okay. It's okay not to be okay. And if it's going to be possible, it's going to be because we've created a culture of grace, a culture of grace where we're giving grace. We're giving grace every time that there's sense of failure or mistake, that our first response is to give and to pour out bucket loads of grace on someone else. We believe that, you know, we're saved by grace and we're held by grace, and therefore we want to give grace. And so we're going to look to God as our source of hope, our strength, and confidence as we're real. Second, we want to be relational. We'll be relational. Now, we're relational when we build a community where everyone can belong. So everyone can belong. Now, it's pretty wild to think about, you know, uh, where the places are that we belong in life. And when we get this many people together, is, you know, can we all come together with all of our differences and really belong? Well, here's what I, I the, the, this is what the Bible teaches. You know, you look at the Bible and you look at what happened in Acts and how the church expanded with 3,000 people in the first day, the first sermon, and then on and on how it just kept growing. Well, there's all kinds of people coming together and they figured out a way for everyone to belong relationally. Now, what I've learned is, over time, is that if a person comes to church and they have come for a while and they haven't found a way to connect in, one way, in some way relationally, then they're going to filter out. They're going to you know, filter away because everybody wants to have a place where they can know and be known, where they can love and be loved, where they can serve and be served, where they can celebrate and be celebrated. And so our goal is to create an environment and atmospheres where we can connect relationally because this is a place to belong. Okay, number three, we will be relevant. We'll be relevant. So we're relevant in our messages and our methods and our music. And hear me, as we aim to bridge the gap between biblical truth and our culture. We want to bridge the gap between biblical, biblical truth and our culture. There are many today who believe that this book is out of date that this book is antiquated, this book is old-fashioned, uh, and that if you want to get with the times, then you better not follow all of the teachings of this book. And what we believe is, is that this is the anointed, inspired Word of God, and that this was as relevant in the day it was written as it is today, to the people it was written to as it is today, that this book is relevant. And this book, and if we would, you know, if we can embrace the truth of this book, we'd solve a lot of the problems we have in culture today. And so what we want to do is we want to bridge the gap because there's a gap or because not everyone believes that. So we want to bridge the gap between the truth of the Bible and we want to help people to understand in ways that they can understand that this book can speak into their life. It speaks into everyday life. So we are relevant. And then lastly, we're relentless. We will be relentless. And what I mean by this is that we are relentless in our pursuit of Jesus Christ and the life he offers relentless in our pursuit of Jesus Christ and the life he offers. And so therefore, we're strategic in leveraging our resources to help as many people know and experience the love of Jesus Christ as we can through our words, our acts, and our compassion. So we do that. But you know, really, we're, as, as, I'm going to get to this in a little while. It'll be even more clear. As we're pursuing Jesus, then we will be contagious. As we pursue him, we will be contagious. And we're relentless in our pursuit of him because of our love for him and because we want to be like him and because we want to be with him, but also because we're 
persistent and relentless, then we're going to be able to shine him. That's where we're going to end up today as we get in our talk. Okay, so let's go. Actually, the goal of all that, the goal of those four things is that we would bring glory to God. That's the goal, that we would bring glory to God. God is lifted up when we as humans surrender our desire and we live for him and his purposes. When we do that, God is lifted up. So what I want to do is I'm going to walk through Philippians 2. This is kind of a strange, so we're talking about vision here. It's kind of a strange, you know, section of the Bible to grab vision from because it's not like rah, 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 take the hill kind of stuff. But it's the reality of who Twin Cities Church has been for the last 22 years. And I just want to reestablish, here's where we're going, and here's what a win looks like as we go forward together. Okay, so just context before I get into it. Paul ended chapter 1 of Philippians. In fact, verse 27 says this. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. So there's our challenge, that we must live as citizens of heaven, because you know once we've said yes to Christ, we are now citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. And so we're going to talk about how we do that together. So here are five purposes. First is this, we exist to connect in fellowship. We exist to connect in fellowship. We exist to help God's people connect with God's family so that they can find a place to belong. And so the, big, the best picture you have of church is that the church is a family. The church is a family. Now, Paul begins by talking about the quality of relationships that people have with each other. And then he connects it all to the beginning point, and the beginning point is their salvation or the moment they said yes to Jesus Christ. Now, Mark Hadley did a great job last week of talking about the power of the gospel of grace. And Paul begins with this assumption that those he's writing to have experienced that grace. They've experienced the power of grace in their lives, and they've placed their faith, they've placed their hope, they've placed their dreams in what Jesus Christ did for them on the cross. So that's who he's writing to. And he begins like this. Verse 1, is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Let's pause there. So he's basically saying, hey, church, I want you to stop and I want you to think of what you've received from God. You've received new life. You've received unconditional love. You've received Holy Spirit living inside of you. So just know that. That's who you are. That's your identity, and therefore, that's the basis for everything I'm about to say. Everything I'm about to say to you, because of Jesus, you are a family. Therefore, your response to life should be a whole new way of relating to each other as a family of God. We are to be a family. He's going to show us here. We are to be a family marked by unity and love, by unity and love. Now, some people uh, measure church by its seating capacity. They say, you know, hey, the success of a church is how many seats they have. Some people measure church and they say, no, it's not by its seating capacity, it's by its sending capacity. How many people is it sending out into the world uh, declaring the love of Jesus Christ? Well, here's what Paul says. Paul says that God measures the success of a church by its loving capacity, by its ability to love no matter what. Its ability to love one another and be in unity he goes on to say this he talks about what that looks like so then are your hearts tender and compassionate then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other 
loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. So the idea that Paul's getting across here is that the church of Jesus Christ is not to be a place where individuals show up to get their personal preferences met. So he's saying it's not, that's not the place it is. We are to come together and we are to be of the same mind, of one mind. So what that means is I'm going to put you before myself. I'm going to do what I can to create and guard the unity of my church. And so God's desire is that we be a family marked by selfless love, where unity is most important. Now, I believe this is a dream that pleases God, and I believe this is why Paul lists it first, and that we need to connect in family. Second idea is this, second purpose he's going to list here. We exist to serve in ministry. We exist to serve in ministry. So we as a church are saying we're going to exist to motivate ourselves to serve in ministry. Motivate ourselves to serve in ministry. We're called to be servants. Okay, we're going to begin with verse 5. Paul illustrates what it means to live as a servant and live for the interest of others. He says this. You must have the same attitude Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, just pause there a minute. Though he was God, what that means is he had unlimited glory He deserved all praise. He had everything. He had everything. So when he says, though he was God, he's talking about the eternal son of the living God. Did not think of equality with God or being equal with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. So Jesus, before he came to earth, he enjoyed the status of equality with God, but this was not a status that he held onto, that he clung to, or could say it another way. It wasn't a status that he exploited for his own gain or used for his own advantage. Instead, Jesus made himself nothing. So what this means is that if we're going to be like Jesus, as Paul's writing here, is the mindset we want to carry through life is I am, the label I have is I am a servant. Like Jesus, I am a servant. So think about a servant. Servants never need to be asked to serve, right? They look for the next place to serve. A servant never needs to wait for instructions to figure out how to do it. A servant doesn't serve for accolades. A servant is never offended for being treated like a servant. A servant doesn't keep a record. A servant doesn't keep an account. A servant serves. Now, folks, this is radical. This is subversive. It goes against all of the things that our culture teaches. Our culture teaches that the way to greatness is for you to start at the bottom and climb your way up to the top. That's what our culture teaches. That's greatness. The Bible teaches that greatness was that Jesus Christ started at the top and climbed his way all the way down to the bottom. Climbed his way all the way down to a bottom. He chose humiliation over glory. He chose a cross over a crown. Now, the way we do church is we want to do church in a way that shaped the way that Jesus was, the way that he lived. Jesus emptied himself of all his rights. He became a nobody so that he could save us. Some of you may have heard of this author. His name is D.A. Carson, uh, a 
Christian writer, author, he writes this about these verses, and I thought it was really, really helpful for me. The eternal Son of God did not think of his status as God as something that gave him the opportunity to get and get and get. Instead, his very status of God meant he had nothing to prove. He had nothing to achieve. And precisely because he is one with God, he made himself nothing and gave and gave and gave. Gave himself away. See, I believe that success in God's eyes, that we would be a community filled with servants who give and give and give, like Jesus did. Okay, next. We exist to magnify and worship. We exist to magnify and worship. We exist to celebrate God in humble worship. Now, we're all going to have different ways that we think that that should be done, and I love our church and all its diversity. So what basically saying here is that we're all going to magnify him in worship. We're called to be worshipers. And let's go on to verse 9. Verse 9. Therefore, because of everything he said up until now, because Jesus gave up everything, went to a cross and died there, because Jesus gave up his divine privileges, because he humbled himself and died a criminal's death, all that. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor. This is so cool. And gave him the name above all other names. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's just awesome there. He's saying because of what Jesus did, now he's at the highest place. And he's at the place everyone would look to. Every tongue will, you know, every tongue will, every knee will bow. Every tongue will speak out that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So we exist to make much of God. That's magnified. We exist to make much of God. We exist to make much of Jesus Christ. We exist. Here's the cool thing. How do you glorify God? You glorify God by exalting Jesus Christ. That's how you glorify God. So we exist to exalt Jesus Christ by acknowledging that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, is Lord of all and over all. He's ascended and he's enthroned. And God has given him all authority on heaven and earth and below the earth. He is Lord. And our responsibility is to declare his lordship to the world, to declare that to the world through our worship. We do it through our worship. Now, just so you know, I'm not talking about what we do in these four walls. Because, you know, when we come into these four walls, it's just the convinced and, you know, this is the safe place and this is the way, you know, some of us, we can wear our Christianity on outward where we've been having it inward all week long and so we can get really expressive and we can have all these ways we express our worship. What we're talking about here is exalting Jesus Christ in my life. Exalting him by the way I live, by the way I treat my spouse, by the way I treat my kids, by the way I work at my workplace, by the way I handle my finances, uh, by the language I use, by the entertainment I watch or allow into my mind, uh, and all the ways that we exalt Jesus Christ by calling him Lord and we submit and surrender to him. That's our worship. So when we bend our knees to Jesus Christ in every area of our lives, then God is glorified. God is glorified. And what we know, we just want people to know, hey, folks, Jesus is better. Jesus is better than pleasure. Jesus is better than possessions. Jesus is better than power. Jesus is better than money. Jesus is better. He's just better. And so I'm living my life because he's better. And so what God wants us to see is he wants us to you are a community of worshipers, and you're all about Jesus Christ and expressing him. 
uh, in your program, there's that, the flyer there for our new series. Uh, one of the things that we just really sensed God leading us to do in this series was that uh, we would come at it in a little different angle as we're advertising to our community that they would want to come. And if you look on the front, it shows Jesus Christ on a cross. We're going to talk for seven, eight weeks about Jesus Christ and his final seven words he spoke from the cross. And then on week eight, we're going to talk about the words he spoke after his resurrection and how they brought hope. And so we just wanted, we just wanted to say into the community, here's, here's who we're about. We're about Jesus Christ. Okay, fourth, we exist to grow in maturity. We exist to grow in maturity. So we exist to stimulate ourselves toward spiritual growth and discipleship. When we say yes to Jesus Christ, we have become a disciple. We've become a follower of his. This is what Paul says in verses 12 through 13. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. You might just underline that. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. And how is that shown? By obeying God. By by obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. It's giving you desire and the power that pleases him. So what Paul's saying here is that God has called us to work, but God is one that does the changing. God has called us to be involved, but God is the one that transforms us. He's the one that makes us different as we follow Jesus. So Paul's vision for this church is not just that they would help people connect to Jesus Christ. You know, not just that they would help people to say yes to the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came to earth, who then died for them, and then was resurrected on the third day, and then they said yes to him, and now they've got their ticket to heaven. God's saying, Paul's saying, that's not your final, you know, final task. You have more to do. He also wants his church to build up people, to build them in their faith, in their walk with Jesus Christ. And this means that if we're growing, that we're going to continue to be men and women who submit in obedience to God's word, who submit in obedience to his word. God only wants to add to our family, but he wants to add to our faith. He wants us to grow as disciples. Now, he's not saying that in these verses, just some some people get confused when they read these verses sometimes. He's not saying that here's how you earn your salvation. He's not saying that you work for your salvation. He's saying, here's how you work out your salvation. Here's how you work out the gift that God has given you. Here's how you apply that in a way that God can then transform you. It's like if I want to make cookies, and so I'm going to make some cookie dough, and I want to make red cookies, so I don't want to make sugar cookies. And you guys know when you make sugar cookies, the, it's what? It's white. And so I've got this dough, and it's all white. Well, I'm going to make sugar cookies, and I add some food coloring in there because the food coloring is going to make it red. As I add the food coloring, it's in one place. In order to get the food coloring to saturate all the cookie dough, I have to what? I have to work it in. I have to work it in. And that's what he's saying about your walk with Christ. You have to work it in. You have to work it into your life so that you can have him transform you from the inside out. So we're committed to that. Last, we exist to reach in love. We exist to reach in love. So basically, we exist to communicate God's love as we engage together in evangelism. And so this is how he wraps up this section, uh, verses 14 through 16. Paul says this, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights. Would you underline that? Shining like bright lights 
in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, and this is like he's wrapping up, okay? Here's the daddy talking to his children, okay? Daddy talking to children. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. See, folks, every single day, you're around people who are just one breath away from a Christless eternity every single day. And what God calls us to do is he calls us to go out and be lights in our world. Now, some people would read this and we'd say, oh, Ron, as I read this, we definitely live in a crooked and perverse world today. And I'm sure it's much worse than Paul's day. Well, you know, if you really read about Paul's day, we're probably not much worse today. Probably pretty much the same because we're all people and we have depravity. What God calls us to do as the church is he says, I want you to be distinctly different from that culture. And because you're distinctly different, you're going to stand out. You will be considered odd or strange. You may even be persecuted. But my goal is that people will see that you're different because of my son, Jesus Christ, and what he's done for you. They, they will see that you're different. And we live like Paul has described. We will stand out like lights. So in everything he do, he, everything we do, he calls us that we would live in a way that bring, brings God glory. Now, I just want to help us out a little bit here because some of us can get pretty zealous about this, you know, being lights uh, in our world. And, you know, we can, sometimes we get all fired up about how corrupt our world is uh, in our minds and uh, especially how corrupt other people are. To us, you know? And so um, what I want to say this is this call is not a call for our church to be against the world, okay? It's not a call to be against the world. Our call as a church is to be in the world, in the world. Not expecting those who don't know Jesus to live lives like they, live, like they love him. Not expecting those who don't know Jesus to have the same values. Not looking at those who don't know Jesus as if they're the enemy, but looking at all people who don't know Jesus as the ones God loves much. The ones he loves much. So much that he sent his son to die on a cruel cross for them. So much that he calls me to love them as he loves me. As he loves me. So he's called us to reach out and love. So here's what that all means. We bring glory when we're connected in unity as a family. We bring glory to God. We bring glory to God when we're giving ourselves away to lighten the load someone else is carrying. We bring glory to God when we worship his son and we magnify his name. We bring glory to God when we surrender to a process that will allow us to grow in maturity. And we bring glory to God when we reach out in love to show the love and share the love of Jesus Christ with our lost and our hurting world. We bring glory to God. And that's our vision. Been this way for 22 years. It hasn't changed. God's called us to this in our future. Now, we're going to end this section of our service by singing together, okay? And we're going to sing a song. That if you were here on the night of February 9th, that we sang that night, and it's a really raucous, fun song about our work together to build God's kingdom. 
And so I'm just going to ask if you would, if you'd stand up. You're not going to be able to sit when you sing, so you might as well stand up anyway. And uh, before we do it, I want us to read together those verses again from Ephesians chapter 3. And I want to read it, you know, I want you to read it with me with gusto, like you believe this to be true, and this is what you desire and what you pray for yourself and our world. Okay, ready, go. Now, all glory to God, who is able, through his mighty power at work within us, to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus, through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We're going, sing, we're going to sing this chorus. I'll teach it to you. So build your kingdom here. Let the darkness fade. Show your mighty hand. Hear our streets and set your church on fire with this mission.
That's so cool. Hey, glad to have a seat again. And while you're being seated, grab this card out of your program, if you would. And we're going to close with this as our prayer. Once again, we use this on February 9th in the evening, so if you're here, it'll be familiar. But it's a great way to close our time together today. It's a time of commitment, time of asking if you'd be in with us on the vision and mission we feel God's called us for the next season uh, of our church life, of what he's asked us to do, who he wants us to be, and how he wants us to live for him, to glorify him. And so I'm going to read this, and if you want to, you can just, in your heart, these words can be your words as well. So we're going to read this as a prayer together. Actually, I'm going to read it, and uh, if you just let it be in your heart, here we go. God, I renew my commitment to the role you've invited me to play as you are building your church in this world. I am awestruck that you would include me in this grand, life-bringing, world-transforming endeavor. Here am I, all of me. Take my life, it's all for thee. So today, I joyfully offer you my love, my heart, my talents, my resources, my worship, my hunger, my desire, my life. God, awake the kingdom seed in us. Build your kingdom here, we pray. Fill us with the strength and love of Jesus. We are your hands and feet. We are your church. As you live through us, we bring hope in our world. May we experience Jesus in all we do and represent him with boldness and grace. And God, I thank you for that prayer. And I thank you for every person here today. And Lord, just pray that you would give us strength. You would help us as a family to have unity. That you would help us as we are servants to have an attitude like Jesus. God, you would help us that we would declare your lordship, Jesus, wherever we go and worship, just by our life. Pray that you would walk with us as we take steps of discipleship toward maturity. And I pray, God, that you would help us to be light in a dark world. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.